0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. So glad to see you this morning. Would you all like to stand with us and worship Thank you, Lord. So we always turn and greet our neighbor. So, you know, you can do that, but just give him a good old Holy Ghost elbow.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, good morning. You go ahead and have a seat. And uh, we are blessed that you are here this morning. And uh, we thank you for being here. We know we've got a, a good group that is watching us from their homes or their iPads, or maybe they're out in the parking lot watching us on their phones. Uh, but we are blessed that no matter. Uh, in just a few moments, uh, Pastor Steve's going to one another. But we know that there's probably some other things that are going on in your life that we, as a church and a staff and the people, just want to come alongside, support you, encourage you, how we can. And one of the greatest ways that we know how to encourage you is to simply just pray for you, and that goes a long way. So again, prayer or praise, take some time to fill that out. And if you are online, you can go ahead and just get online and just email us. Uh, We just want to make sure that we're staying connected with you as well uh, if you are watching us via the live stream this morning. Well, let me just share a few quick announcements And again, as we are monitoring the situation that's going on, which all of you are well aware of, we are planning business as usual until we get the word and make the changes. But we'll make sure if anything happens, any more changes come, that we let you know. But we are still scheduling at the end of this month, on Sunday, March 29th, is our family fun day here. And so we're going to go out in that patio, and this is for the kids and families, everyone to attend. Uh, our children's ministry team is going to be there. Miss Connie's going to be there, give you a chance to meet her. Uh, we're going to have a bounce house. We're going to make some waffles. We're just going to have an incredible time blessing the kids, making sure that they have fun. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, if you have nieces or nephews or kids, grandkids, uh, this is going to be something that you're going to want to bring them to. We are already on uh, the cleaning and making sure that everything is safe and fun. Uh, But I'm taking my kids out because we've got to go to certain places, and it's a panic environment out there. And I'm trying to do my best to make sure that my kids can still be kids in a world that just wants us to shut up and be confined in spaces. And so I don't know any other greater place to be if you have to be in that environment than church. Uh, But we still want to make sure that our kids can be kids and just enjoy life and one of the ways that we can bless the families too. So join us on that 29th. It's going to be after both services, and we're just going to have a great time together. So extend that invite. This is open to anyone that wants to come and join us. Well, let me also share with you uh Holy Week is just around the corner, if you can believe it. Uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday are just a few weeks away, and no matter the distractions of our time that we're living in, it probably just gives you a little bit more time to think about Easter coming up and the fact that He is risen, He is still risen indeed, He is still in control, He is still at work, and He is still good, amen? So we're going to celebrate that together. On April 5th is going to be our Palm Sunday service. And then that week, we have two opportunities for for you uh, to join us for a couple of special things. One, on Thursday night, we're having Monday-Thursday dinners. And these are going to be incredible opportunities if you're in a life group. Uh, We're going to ask that your life group participate in this. If you don't have a group to be a part of. This is just us coming and celebrating Jesus' command in the last supper to love one another, to be with one another, to spend time with one another. And so we're going to have a group that's going to be here for all of you who just want an opportunity to come and do this. Or... If maybe you want to host in your home a dinner, uh, please come and talk with me. I'd love to connect with you, and we're going to equip you with what you need to be able to do that. We've got a script and some scripture reading, but most importantly, just celebrating the joy in brothers and sisters coming together and extending that invite to other people that you know would be encouraged by this time together. And then that Friday, uh, Friday night on the 10th is going to be our Good Friday service right in here at 630 to 730. Uh, we've been planning that. You're not going to want to miss that. That is going to be a such a special time together. So join us that. And then Easter Sunday, we've got two services, 9 and 1045. So I wanted to give you the brief flyby on that real quick, and we will share more details with you as it gets closer. So right now, I'm going to invite Nils Jansman to come up, who's going to do our prayer for the people this morning. So would you bow your heads, and let's just spend some time in prayer this morning.
2: with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for your name to be hallowed. We pray that the time will soon come when all your children in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will confess Jesus as Lord in sanctification of your name. Help us, Father, to be ready to confess our indiscretions to you and to one another, We know that the prayers of our brothers and sisters are powerful and effective. In this way, may we all advance to full maturity in Christ, all to your honor and glory. As we offer this prayer, we do so in a spirit of reverent fear and trembling, realizing that we are so privileged to speak directly to you as our loving Father, the almighty creator of all things. May we always look to your word for guidance, which will purify our hearts and our minds as we progress onward toward our reward of the upward calling. Just as you are always working, we also seek to work to show ourselves capable of performing the privileges of service to our others that you have prepared in advance for us to carry out. We have so much for which to be thankful. We are thankful that our government has been working hard to protect us from the coronavirus. We pray that, if it be your will, all those worldwide, and especially those related to us in faith in Christ, will escape contamination of this frightful virus. We are indeed living in perilous times, just as was predicted in your word, the Bible. Thank you for this congregation of saints. Who continue to be a source of mutual support in such times like these and lastly we thank you again heavenly father for providing your son jesus christ as our redeemer and coming king in whose name we ask this prayer amen
3: deals thank you so much well i want to say a special welcome to everybody out there watching the service today uh we have a really neat feature not just the live streaming but we have a thing where uh, we, can see, we can see you through your camera. And so it's awesome to see what, what's going on out there. And basically, I think we should call this Pajama Sunday uh, because a few of us are here and we're dressed, but the rest of you, like, we, you I love those things with the feet in it. Awesome. Uh, all looks good. Um, so it's Pajama Sunday at one level. Really, uh, it's, it's Corona Sunday. And it's Corona Sunday because we always meet under the lordship of our king. We're here under the lordship of our king. Uh, we're not proving anything by being in the room. I was going to be here anyway, uh, broadcasting a sermon, and I wanted to invite anybody who wanted to be here to, to join me, so thank you for being here. So it's not a are you in or out, whether you're here or not, but we're just glad as as God's people to meet under his lordship wherever we go, uh, wherever we are. And so the king is the only one who can take care of the, of the virus that, that threatens us. And right now it's a coronavirus, but, you know, The coronavirus is simply a reminder that there's a lot of viruses out there, both psychological, emotional, spiritual, uh, physical, that threaten us, and we're not very aware of it. I guess if if we were all that much more dialed into the condition of our world, every day would be a day of panic. Every day would be a day to meet all your friends at Costco. People are self-isolating and quarantining, that's awesome, except when it comes to grocery stores and places like Costco, it's like everybody shows up cheek to jowl, and I'm not mocking anybody, I'm just simply saying this is the reality of how do you navigate through uh, this kind of virus, life goes on. But there's viruses that affect us that are much more substantial in the long run. Jesus said, don't be worried about things that will kill your body, be concerned about things that can kill your soul. And so as we continue worshiping uh, our King in the face of this coronavirus, uh, we know that uh, we are wise and discerning in what we do, you know, hand sanitizer, washing your hands thoroughly, avoiding unnecessary contact with people who are sneezing on you. All goes a long way. But maybe this is a season, because it's happening in the midst of Lent, for us to open our hearts to our King in a more profound way. Say, Lord, I know I literally cannot protect myself. I, I I am not resigned to. I am resigned to getting the the virus or being exposed to it. Right? I went out this morning, got the newspaper, and as I walked back in, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm holding a plastic thing encasing my newspaper. Uh, my neighbor stopped by the other yesterday. I was outside for a few minutes, and he stopped by. We started talking. Another person came by. This goes on, right? So really, I can't isolate myself thoroughly. What I can do is engage thoroughly with the risen Lord and Savior, uh, who I call King, who we call King. So I'm glad you're tuning in uh, from home. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, Our theme, our series is Live for Today, Prepare for Tomorrow. Very apropos for coronavirus season. (laughs) Live thoroughly in the presence of the Lord today and do all the things you need to do by way of due diligence today uh, as a way of preparing for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow worry about today, live for today, but in doing so wisely, you will be preparing yourself for tomorrow. So that's our theme. Uh, we've talked about eating right, you know, feasting on God's word. We've talked about going to school. Uh, Dave talked about that last week. Who is mentoring you? Who are you mentoring? Uh, today, our, 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 our sermon is really focusing on uh, doing the work. Uh, what is the work required of you at this season in your life? Uh, so today's message is simple. Do the work. And then the obvious thing is, well, okay, great, that's fantastic, but what work am I supposed to do? And that's what we want to talk about in the time we have. Uh, What work am I supposed to do? And it's essentially this. The work is to live in God's grace and walk in His love. What is the work necessary and required of you to walk in God's grace and to live in His love? To live in God's grace and to walk in His love, right? What is the work you need to do what is, the, what is the work you need to do? Um, let me frame it this way. Every age, stage, and phase in life brings developmental tasks. There are certain things that every, every pediatrician is looking for in a baby, in a small child. Where are they on this, on this generalized scale of what children are typically doing at this age and stage? What are we looking for? What, what tasks can they handle? Can they focus yet? Uh, what are they seeing? Can they hear, s- smell, well, you know, etc.? And as children get older, we constantly track their progress. What are the developmental tasks we want to see them engaging in? Both emotional, again, physical, spiritual, etc. Uh, some of the work <coughs> that is important for us to attend to if we're going to live in God's grace and walk in His love would be family of origin issues. A lot of people have f- fully developed uh, intellectually and physically and socially, and yet they are f- suffering under crippling circumstances internally because of family of origin issues um, unaddressed. And so perhaps for you, doing the work is saying, you know what, I- I've got to deal with this. I've got to face this. I've got to enter into some kind of therapeutic process. I need to be in a community of people who- with whom I can share what I'm struggling with, what I'm wrestling with. It's not a blame game. It's a how do I deal with what I'm feeling at this point in my lime game, life game. How about life events that require work to process, to resolve, to manage? Um, The last couple weeks, uh, one of our um, members, uh, seven years old, uh, was diagnosed with diabetes. How do you explain that to a seven-year-old? What is diabetes and why do I have it? Now, what does that mean? Um, And it's not a a put-a-band-aid-on-it sort of thing. All of a sudden, you have to come to terms with that. You have to work through some grief and loss. You have to work through some logistics of how do I constantly um, manage this? What's the process now that my life uh, needs to address? How about this? You know, as you go through life, this is related to any number of issues, the wounds and the and the hurts and, and the uh, uncertainties that plague us all. But at some point, um, maybe for you, the work is about is addressing the coping that's no longer working what was what was what was your way of coping with life's hurts and wounds and uncertainties has now become an addictive destructive force in your life uh, drug addiction alcohol addiction uh, sexual addiction uh, materialism addiction any number of addictions behaviors that that no longer support us in coping but but overwhelm us so that we can no longer cope uh, and this is this is something that touches every age and stage virtually because if, it's, if a little kid is affected by wh- what the adult in their life is experiencing and not dealing with or dealing with. Uh, this is something that goes through the whole life cycle. Uh, if you've met a, an anorexic 13-year-old girl, a beautiful, intelligent girl, and you're saying, what's going on in your head? You know, she's coping. What about the boy that feels like, if I don't do this, uh, if I don't do that, if I don't do outrageous things that are dangerous, I'm not going to be the measure of a man. Uh, pick, pick whatever scenario you want. Uh, these are are destructive uh, and destabilizing uh, disabilities uh, because of our lack of, of being able to cope. None of us know how to cope very well. So part of the work that all of us need to do is to say, what am I doing to cope in this world? Some of us cope by being hypercritical of others, envious, jealous, resentful, competitive, comparative. Others cope by withdrawing. Others cope by, again, using substances, You get the idea. Your work, though, is going to address some of these issues. Um, What do you think your primary work is right now? What do you think your primary work is right now? Are you in a codependent addictive relationship? You're supporting and propping up somebody who's doing some destructive things that you're saying, well, if I only did something different, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, The typical abusive spouse syndrome. The Stockholm syndrome. Oh, I don't want to hurt this person. Yeah, but they're hurting you. They're destroying you. Yeah, I feel bad, though. I tell you what, you're going to feel even worse until you address this. What do you think your primary work is right now? And I'll tell you what, in, a, in, a, in a super heading, a meta heading, this is what your work is it's the work preparing you to support others' well being, it's the, it's the work supporting you, uh, preparing you to support others' well being. One of the hallmarks of maturity is to be able to love and to work. To be willing to say, okay, uh, what will I do to get my act together under God's grace and sovereignty so that I can support other people? This is an act of love, and this is the finest, most important core work that we do. What am I doing that's getting in the way of somebody else's well-being? What am I doing or not doing that's impeding somebody else's well-being? What am I doing or not doing that's threatening somebody else's well-being? The traumatized kid in the home. Oh, dear God, dad is doing it again. Mom is doing that thing again. Mom and dad together are doing that thing again. You follow what I'm saying? That, that if it's not a, just enough for us to care for our, our well-being, put it in that larger context. Because ultimately, what's the point? It's, it's to put us in a place where we can be mature people who know how to live in love and work Work in the sense that we're contributing to the well-being of other people. This is the most powerful thing we give one another. We do the work that we need to do in us so that in turn we can support one another in our own work and one another's work. It's a very powerful way of looking at community because nobody has to be perfect to enter into that. Nobody has to have it all together. I'm just in process. I'm doing the work. Some friends recently have gone through some rehabilitation uh, programs, and so their big phrase is doing the work. Am I willing to do the work? It's been so neat to hear uh, people who uh, unrelated to each other saying, wow, you know, um, I'm really embracing my need, my desire to do the work. I've never felt more free in doing this work. I'm starting to get to know me. I'm starting to understand what makes me tick or gives me ticks, (laughs) you know. I'm starting to understand the dynamic, the systems that I live in and that I support, and I want want to change. And so self-care, self-care, starting with you, the work that needs to be done in you, is you becoming a gift from God to others. You cannot change anybody. You can only influence other people. So stop trying to control, stop trying to escape, stop hiding, stop complaining, and work on the stuff you need to work on so that you'll be in the best position possible to be able to support others in their work. And if they choose not to do the work, it's their choice. You don't treat people as disposable items. Well, then you're out. But we say, listen, I'm going to stay close enough to be ready to help, but not close enough to let you drown me. Not close enough to let you smother me. This is the most painful part of our own growth. When we get clarity and we start to see the people who are in incredible suffering around us who will not change, we so desperately want to change them. And that's probably one of the most intense grief and loss experiences I've gone through in life, seeing people I love very, very much not willing to address the issues. And the pain of saying, okay, okay, i got to let them be them. I can't let that ruin my life. I can't be miserable all day long. Just like the person who's bitter about something, uh, and they, they maintain that bitterness, it's like them drinking poison hoping somebody else will die. If I take on somebody else's pain, what I'm saying is, uh, since you're not doing the work, I'll do the work. And I'll take the punishment of you not doing the work. It's ridiculous. It's counterproductive. It robs us of the capacity to love because we do become worn out and resentful ultimately. And we, it, it takes away our capacity to work because we're innervated, not energized. So the beautiful thing is, as we do our work, we're going to have the energy. This is what we're going to be exploring this morning. We're going to have the energy, the capacity to say, I'm entering into you, within, in with you. I'm entering into your world in a way that I want to help in any way I can. But I'm going to honor the fact that you get to choose whether or not you do the work. If you don't do the work, I'll be very sad. And I'm not going to be in touch with those feelings. But I'm not going to let those destroy me as, with guilt or false guilt especially. What could I have done? Could I have done something differently? No. So uh, with that, I hope you're in a really happy mood now that I've, I've kind of laid that out for you. Uh, this is in, in consistent with Coronavirus Sunday. Uh, that We're dressing up as Pajama Sunday. Um, but here's the larger context. John 5.17, uh, the, the Apostle John uh, quotes Jesus saying this. Jesus said to them, "My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working." Is that kind of a shocking, surprising thing? God is working. In our culture, most most people's big goal is to get out of work. In the Western culture, work is for losers and people who couldn't outsmart the system. But the Hebraic concept of work is ennobling. It's that God worked, and so we're honored and glorified. Uh, with the privilege of learning how to do our work. And God is honored and glorified as we do our work uh, under his sovereignty, right? Uh, What does it tell us in the beginning of the Bible? God created and then he rested. That's, That's an amazing concept. And I guarantee it's a different concept than what we experience. That's why it's so hard to get our heads around it. God worked and then he rested? Jeez, God's like me. Not exactly But you get the idea that somehow there's something good about work and there's something good about rest. So we emulate God himself when we learn to work and rest and we're created for good work, rooted in Sabbath rest. That's why this day is important. The place, not so much. The day, essential. That we carve out a day of Sabbath rest. So our work starts in rest. If you notice the order of creation, God rested and then it was our first day. Our first day was a day off. Human life, according to the Bible, started with a day off. Would you, would you love that if it's the first day at work? They said, by the way, your, first, your starting day is April 13th, the day after Easter. Uh, that's a day off. What? My first day is a day off? Yep. Why? We want you to enter into your work so refreshed, uh, so jazzed with the idea that these people get it. They want me to be my best self as I do my work. And so our work, uh, our effort in abiding is rooted in the shalom of God. This Sabbath rest produces shalom. Shalom, we know, is peace. It's more than peace. It's a sense of well-being. It's a sense of centeredness. It's uh, It's not about space. It's about time. I'm in the presence of God, perpetually in the presence of God. That's what shalom is. What is the point of business? What is the point of commerce? What's the point of art? What's the point of governance? What's the point of anything that humans do? It's to extend and express and experience the shalom of God. Let that sink in. The shalom of God. The peace that passes understanding. This is part of God's redemptive process in the world. And so uh, the same John writes in a letter. We don't have a slide for this. He says this. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. It's all about shalom and Sabbath rest. Uh, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And that's why we have to do the work, because we have to take a look at, okay, what are those things that are dragging me away from the one who wants to give me shalom? What are those things that are getting in the way between me and the one who wants to give me shalom? What are the assumptions I'm assuming? What are the truths I've internalized and They're now unconscious and even unexpressed that are getting in the way of me receiving the love of the one who gave everything that I could have his love. So what's the antidote to flailing and failing? It's doing the work. It's doing the work, right? If work is ennobling, this is a creative work, a painful work. Why? It's painful because I have to look at me. I can't look at my projected image. I have to say, who am I really inside? And, And of course, once they get over that, really? Okay, once I start looking at it, I realize, hey, there's a me worth loving, apparently, because the Lord says it. Wow, okay. Hey, there's a, a me worth being compassionate for. There's a, a me worth um, accepting unconditionally in love. There's a me that's worth saying, wow, I, I really want to get to know you. Uh, that's disarming. Wow, really? Yeah. And, let, I like to, <laughs> and God says, I'd like to go a little deeper. There's a you that's totally disoriented and selfish and self-centered and at cross-purposes with my will for you. It's like, oh, I knew there'd be something painful in here. Well, yeah, of course, of course. But the antidote to flailing and failing is not to hide. It's to say, okay, I'm going to step up and experience this, this encounter with the one who created me and is now redeeming me. This is our essential work. And so we see Paul writing to the Colossians, a city in in modern-day Turkey. He says, He, Jesus, is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, fully developed in Christ. And fully developed in Christ isn't a religious category. Fully religious in Christ. It's fully alive, period. And the source of that life is Christ, it's not a little tiny category that's irrelevant to the rest of life. It's saying, if, if this doesn't happen, the rest of life isn't quite happening. So becoming wise and mature is the best work you'll ever do. Fully mature in Christ means being fully informed about who you are and who he is, reformed from what I naturally do and want to do, and then transformed by his work in me. And there's three practices that support this. There's probably a zillion practices that support this, but I'm just picking out three is you show up to do your work. Whether it's you show up at AA, you show up at a life group, you show up in a counselor's office, you show up in a, in a quiet moment with your spouse, uh, as a whole family. Uh, however it looks for you as you enter into your work. Three things, three practices. They're very simple. I'll show up, I'll listen up, and I'll wise up. I'll show up. I'll listen up, and I'll wise up. I'll show up. That means I'm here to get help. This is all about responsibility. Where does responsibility come from? Ability to respond. It's about choice. I'm choosing to show up. A friend of mine who has gone through a therapeutic rehabilitative process, and he's in it, in the thick of it, he said, "You know, I used to go to this AA meeting, and I would act like I'm here on behalf of my friend. These are geeks, weirdos, people I wouldn't want to spend any time with socially, and I'm not really of them. I'm just showing up because I think it might be good for me, and I'm certainly sure it's good for them, me being here. This person was telling me recently, you know what, you know who I show up for now? Me. I need their help desperately. He said, I even told them so. I used to think you people were geeks. And beneath me, socially, I I see you now as brothers and sisters. Friends on the journey. You see the power of that? show up i'll really show up i'll truly be present the second thing i'll listen up it's basically i'm saying you know you're saying i'm here to learn that's an expression of humility what's humility about vulnerability i need to know something i don't know or i need to understand how to apply something i know really well but i'm embarrassed to say i have no idea how to apply it i can write books about love c.s lewis said i speak of love a scholar's parrot might speak greek It's a bird saying Greek words. He said, that's me when it comes to talking about love. What do I know about love, he said. So I'll listen up. I'm here to learn. I'm expressing humility, which is my vulnerability. The third thing, if if showing up is saying I'm here to get help, it's an act of responsibility. It's a choice. And the second thing is I'll listen up. I'm here to learn. That's humility and vulnerability. The third thing would be this. I'll wise up. I'm here to grow. I'm here to do the work. The work means you can fail, you can stumble, you can fumble, you can flail. But if you do the work, you will not fail. You will flail, but you won't fail. Why? Because just doing the work sets you up for a different experience. We require every premarital couple to go through a thing called prepare. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic assessment that came out of the University of Minnesota, written by a professor there who's a follower of Jesus and a clinical psychologist, and, and he said, how can I help people be prepared for marriage? Well, it got so big and so profoundly robust and, and effective that it grew out of the University of Minnesota. Now it's, full on, it's a full-on you know, company. But they make it super inexpensive for couples to go online and complete this assessment. I think they charge 35 bucks to process it. Then they send it to me, and I sit down with a couple and walk through it, and if they want to take it and, and go get more counseling, they can. But it's so profound, because what does it do? It tells the couple, this is how you see yourself. This is how you see one another. This is what you're experiencing. These are the unexplored aspects of your life. It's a powerful, robust tool for learning. It's not a test. You failed, you can't get married. But by doing this process, and everybody's nervous about it, but once we walk through, they say, gosh, this is fantastic. Yeah, and you know what the the follow-up research shows? The efficacy of this is just by going through that assessment, you increase by... by, um, Uh, like at least twice, your capacity for not experiencing divorce. Just by going through. You haven't done anything. You've just gone through the assessment and talked about it. You haven't even done anything yet. And you all of a sudden now up the ante of your your success rate in marriage. You see the power of this? I'll, I'll show up, I'll listen up, and I'll wise up. Because when you wise up, you say, I'm here to grow. I'm coachable. I'm coachable. What happens when we are coachable? We become strong. You know what's funny about this is every athlete that has a coach is a better athlete than the coach. Almost every uh, business coach I know would say the people I coach are way more smart and successful than I am. So what's the point of having a coach, a guide? It's because they can see things that you can't see. They can see things that you both agree on and help you with the mechanics. Every professional golfer has a coach. Sometimes we have informal coaches in life, sometimes we have formal coaches, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a lifetime. But these three practices uh, are essential. So everything I say now is is, is in support of this, okay? So uh, he says, going back, uh, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He goes on to say, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, that is one of the most profound things in the entire Bible to me, that to this end, because God is doing this work in me based on wisdom and bringing me to a place of full development, to this end, I strenuously contend. That's a phrase that to me, I read that and I think, he's doing the work. I'm doing the work. Well, yeah, actually, he says, it's with all the energy Christ works in me, but with him inside of me, me abiding in Him, it's His power that allows me to do the work. This is profound, isn't it? You go to a physical therapist, your shoulder is frozen. You, you're running one day and you tripped and you fell down and you caught yourself, but for the months afterwards, your shoulder is kind of tight and frozen. After a while, you can't use it. Pretty soon, you know, uh, you, you've you've been to this, through this or you've had friends. Every time they go to put on their sweater, it's kind of like this, and they put the... And finally, somebody says, hey, have you thought about physical therapy? Well, no. Why would I go to physical therapy? Well, because that's what they do. And you go to physical therapy, and they look at you, and they go, oh, yeah, we can fix this. And you go, seriously? Yeah. And they do some things, and you go, that feels kind of better, but I can still just go like that. And you go, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be like that for weeks, maybe months. And one day, who knows how many weeks or months from now, one day you're going to go, oh, my gosh, my full range of motion is back. What happened? To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully worked within me. Strenuously means with great effort and determination. With great effort and determination. I'm doing the work, but I'm doing it because the, 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 the physical therapist is walking me through this whole process that's making my work possible and making it good. Because the work I used to do was like this. Put the sweater on and, right? Or the work I was doing was actually exacerbating the injury. Contending means learning, or leaning into the difficulties. Contending means I'm going to lean into the difficulties. I'm going to lean into the pushback from my own body saying, "Don't do that," or people around me maybe saying, "Why are you doing that? Why get over it?" That God stuff is imaginary. Let it go. This is real. Oh, okay. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerful works in me. I love the way Paul then says it in another letter to the Corinthians. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. He'd been praying three times that God would remove this weakness, this affliction that he had, this issue. We don't know what it was. And, And so Paul said, come on, I got a lot to do, God, for you. Remove this. Alleviate this issue, this situation. And God says, basically, no, three times. And he says, the third time God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Not that they're great, but it's in the midst of those that I'm willing to show up, listen up, and wise up, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. This is what, this is what ticks me off when people say, for Christ's sake, and they're not saying it in the context of, because of who he is, I'm submitting my life to him. It really bums me out. When I hear people say, for Christ's sake, I'm waiting to hear, I'm submitting myself to His sovereign will. That's awesome. When people say, my God, it kind of makes me wince. Because if it's a prayer, I want to join them in it. If it's a praise, I want to support them in it. But it's usually a way of, it's a soft profanity. But for Christ's sake means I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, I saw a movie recently. I saw this movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Have you ever seen it? Oh, my gosh. I had no idea Uh, this movie was out there. And um, it's about Desmond Doss who won the Congressional Medal of Honor in World War II as a conscientious objector. But truly, technically, you know, that's the title he was under, but he wasn't really a conscientious objector. He wasn't objecting anything. He was saying, I'm a conscientious supporter. He enlisted. (laughs) He enlisted. Conscientious objectors don't enlist uh, in in the army. He enlists, and then he says, but I won't carry a gun. Every day, uh, he he was harassed and bullied and beaten and abused. He couldn't even get any relief or support from the the presiding officer who mocked him and was trying everything he could to get him out of the army. It wasn't until Desmond Doss saved that officer's life on Hacksaw Ridge that that, at the time that general came around and said, oh, oh. 75 men on Hacksaw Ridge said, oh, this guy saved my life. When we were all down at the bottom of the hill, and somebody goes, hey, where's Doss? Where's Doss? Uh, Sir, he's up on the ridge lowering people down including Japanese wounded 75 people and as he told his story later they said, how did you do that? He said every time I got a man down I was exhausted and I wanted to quit but I would say, Lord, just give me one more just give me one more Strength for one more. This is what it means to strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in in me. All the people who hated him and literally abused him and beat him up daily. At the end of this thing they were, of course, shamed, humbled, and they were thanking God for Desmond Doss. So you, as you strenuously contend In your faith, doing the work in Jesus. If you're mocked and abused and criticized and ridiculed, isolated, ostracized, it's a painful thing to go through. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Because you're becoming mature in Christ. Not that you can so you can show off, so you can show up. You can be the gift to support others in what they need when they need it. So how are you contending? Uh, it's better to contend than to pretend. The church is filled with people well-intentioned, all of us well-intentioned, assuming that our salvation means we have it together. Our salvation is just the door we walk through to say, ah, oh, I'm, I'm walking now with the one who has it together. Salvation doesn't say anything about our, our togetherness. I'm saved. Are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. How's it going for you? Really hard would be the right answer. Yeah. It's two, step, two steps forward; it's like three steps back. Yeah, me too. Instead of, oh, fine, fine, you, fine, good, yeah, great. If somebody said we're a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints, uh, you know the name Friedrich Nietzsche, a Nietzsche, German philosopher. I I have disagreed with everything I've ever read by Friedrich Nietzsche. He was just negative. He was just he was just down on on followers of Jesus and yet he did say one thing one time that is the most profound thing I I think I've ever read from him Um, and and a fellow named Eugene Peterson picked it up and made it the title of a book one of the most popular books he's written in the last 40 years it's this phrase out of this statement Nietzsche says the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction let me say it again the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There is where all the results are, he says, and has always resulted in the long run something which was, has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. Oh, that's a brilliant title. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what we're talking about when we're doing the work. The long obedience in the same direction. I, every day I show up and I'm doing the work. It changes. The work changes through ages and stages and seasons. The seven-year-old who is diagnosed with diabetes is going to be 17 in a blink, 37, 47. One day somebody's going to say, "Grandpa, why do you do that every day?" Ah, well, starting when I was seven, it's how I handle my diabetes. Well, didn't you get over it? You're doing it a long time. You're 87, right? It's what's kept me alive till 87, so I could be with you. Oh, Grandpa, thanks for doing the work. Yeah. Um, years ago, and I hope I, I, this always makes me cry, so I'm not going to, I don't know if I, I will try not to. Uh, when I was a new pastor, I was in like my early, I mean, mid middle 20s, and uh, I had a full time personal assistant, a pastor in this large church, and she came in and said, Hey, would you mind meeting with one of my friends? I said, Yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, she said, uh, She's like, she's your age. Yeah, oh, great, super. So this woman comes in. Oh, I meant she said, oh, by the way, she's blind. I said, "Whoa, well, okay. And why does she want to talk to me? I, well, I'll let her tell you. Okay. So she comes in. We sit down. I said, "So, hey, I'm glad to meet with you. Tell me about you. What can I do to help you? She said, well, uh, I'm blind. I said, yeah, wow, that's a bummer. How did you become blind? Uh, I'm a diabetic. I said, wow. So diabetes cause you to be blind. She goes, no, I like ice cream. This is the part that always makes me get just like, seriously, I love ice cream. Can you tell? I love ice cream. But she said, I love ice cream. I thought, <laughs> you're 26 and you went blind because you like ice cream? I didn't say that, but I said, so what can I do to help you? She goes, well, I just want to grow my faith. like, Okay. Grandma, how did you become blind? I like ice cream. Oh. See the difference between doing the work and not doing the work. The long obedience in the same direction. So Paul again writing to the Philippians says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This phrase, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is a call to perseverance. It's not, I'm afraid, he might hit me. It's no. Fear and trembling is, oh my gosh, the grace of God is in me. The love of God is within me. God is for me and with me. Wow, it makes me fearful and trembling. Wow, okay. I'm standing on the cornice at Mammoth and and the best guide at Mammoth is standing next to me. And he's saying, you ready? Like, yeah, I think, you know. Call to perseverance. Fear and trembling is continuing with an odd sense of God's generous provision, not dread over our weakness. I'm such a worm. Yeah, I I can see how you could feel that way, but you know what? You're a beloved son of God. You're a beloved daughter of God. So persevering means not giving up when we don't get quick results. Does that resonate with you? Persevering means not giving up when we don't get quick results. Most of most everything in life is not a quick result. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Why would we give up, though? Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. God's for you. He's carrying you through the whole thing. Just do the work. Doing the work is all about living into the full implications of our salvation. Perseverance is our pathway to joy, not punishment for our weakness. Oh, you're a loser. you got to persevere. No, you're a beloved child of God. You get to persevere. It's your privilege to persevere, to show up every day and see what God's going to do in that day, to live for today, knowing that He's preparing you for tomorrow. And so James says, Consider it then, pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Testing isn't God setting us up to fail, going, gotcha, you failed again. Testing is God saying, I've got you, let's go for it. I've got you, let's try it out, let's see how it goes. Dave told that wickedly funny story about showing up at the gym, loading it up with the 45-weight plates, and they don't look that big or heavy. And then he he tries to lift it, it's like... You know, but how fun later, right? After somebody said, Let me show you how to do this and how to d- ramp up to that. When finally they said, Hey, you wanna, let's see what your max is today. And so somebody's spotting him and now he's pumping it out and he's going, Whoa, whoa. And what used to be the thing that humiliated him, I dropped it, was, is now the thing he warms up with A bar, two 45 pound bar, 245 plates, and he's, that's his warm up. And now he's going, Hey, maybe I can do 300 today. You guys stand on on each side, and he's warmed up, and all of a sudden he does it. You go, he's testing. He's testing. The perseverance is, is paying off. He's going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that one time. I could have never dreamt of doing that. See, testing develops us, deepens us, builds our confidence. As we do the work, he teaches us disciplines for living well. We learn the skills necessary. That's what doing the work is. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're trying to grow. The writer of Hebrews 12 says, God disciplines those he loves. It might feel punishing in the moment, but it's not about being punished. It's about the outcome of being stronger and more fully developed. It's the strength to care for God and to care for others as God cares for you. That's the motivation for doing the work. So if any of you, he says, lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. It will be given to you. The fool says, I don't need God. The wise person says, the Lord is my strength. Why? Because our loving Heavenly Father says, yeah, come on. There's no shame in asking for wisdom. I expect it. I invite it. You're well received when you come to me and tell me what you're experiencing. I've been watching you languish and flail and standing at the edge of failure. And now I'm so delighted you're turning and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to do the work. Matthew 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So live for today. Prepare for tomorrow by doing the work. Again, I ask you, what is the essential work you need to be focusing on right now? Letting go? Leaning in? Learning some new skills, some new responses, some new habits? In what way does, does... just, you know, uh, show up and listen up and wise up. What does that look like for you? It'll look differently for everybody. But the same principles, the same practices apply to all of us. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to experience faith, hope, and love. He wants you to experience the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He wants this for us. This is the, this is the byproduct of abiding in Him and doing the work. Showing up, listening up, wising up. So I, I conclude with this. Uh, Paul writes this at the end of uh, chapter 15 when he's talking about the resurrection and the life to come. He's talking to people who are tired, who are going, man, I'm, I don't know. This is hard. It's not getting better. I'm feeling discouraged. He says, you don't even know what you're, gonna, what you're going toward, what you're going to be in Christ. Hang in there. And he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We have so reduced this to such a superficial understanding. Ah, my work in the Lord. It's handing out bulletins when people come into church. It's doing this, it's doing that. None of those things are insignificant. I make coffee. I'm doing the work of the Lord. Yeah. No, that is the work of the Lord, but that's not the work. That's not your primary work in the Lord. Your primary work in the Lord is saying, Lord, what work do you want to do in me at this place in my life? What do I need from you that I can, that I, so that I can thrive and serve you and support others? You see the difference in that? We've reduced the work in the Lord to something. I wrote a check. I did this. I did that. Yeah, but what is going on inside of you? Oh, I'm learning how to love. I'm learning how to forgive. I'm learning how to accept myself as a... Beloved child of God. Ah, yes, that's the work. Now, when you go make coffee, you, you greet people, you teach a class, or you go on a build, you're a different person. Do the work. Do the work and see how God will work in you and through you as you do that work. So, Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for our congregation, that we'd experience this in the context of all the viruses, whether it's a coronavirus or the virus of despair, depression bitterness, unforgiveness, guilt, all the things that are viral, contagious, destructive, life-threatening. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet us, that we would respond to you. We'd show up and listen up and wise up so that we can do the work, certainly for our benefit, but also for all those who you want to bless through us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're not going to pass the plates to take the offering this morning, but if you're here with us on the back, you can go ahead and just put the, the check or the money in that box. And if you're online, uh, just log on, click give and it will give you instructions on how to do that. But what we want to encourage want you invite you in on is uh, taking a little bit of what Steve said this morning is what is God inviting you to do this week? I think we're in a day and age where we can offer, yes, of our tithes and our offerings, but we also want to offer ourselves. And so just in this time of song and singing and prayer, would you just take a moment, whether here or whether online, and just ask God, how, God, would you use me this week? What is the work you have set before me to do this week? And maybe that's blessing someone with a meal or even blessing someone with a roll of toilet paper. Who knows what it is, but the point is, is what is God calling you to do that as the body of Christ and as someone that genuinely just wants to show love to our neighbor, love to our coworkers, love to our family this week, that you would just say, God, I offer myself to you this morning. Would you just speak to me in this time and in this moment before we go about our weeks and before we see the news and before we get back into the day activities, that God would just use you how he wants to use you. So let's just offer ourselves through that upon our tithes and offerings this morning. Let's bow our heads once more. And God, we do come in a time of prayer. Um, What a powerful message this morning, and we thank you for the worship, and we thank you for the time that we can gather together and be encouraged this morning, to be strengthened this morning. Uh, Father, to just even spend a moment here and just to say, Lord, how do you want to use me? What is it that you have given me the gifts and the abilities to do and and the passion and the drive to do and that we would go out this week and show the kind of love that you would desire for us to show? That, Father, even if it's as simple as the peace that is within us in the midst of a storm is the encouragement that someone needs to see and to hear, but we've got to go and we've got to be available for people to see that. So we thank you as a church that we can reach people, not only for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to band together and find strength in the coming together. So we'd be honored and glorified in what we do in the remainder of this morning and then this next service to come. And when we are dismissed and we go into our places and activities this week, Father, would we offer ourselves to you each and every day. The first thing that we do when we get up in the morning is say, Lord, I am yours. Use me how you would desire to use me this day for your glory and your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: doing the work does. uh, It breaks the chains. It sets us free. Uh, It connects us to the heart of God. It connects us to our own heart in the Lord. It allows us to connect to the hearts of other people. Uh, This is the power uh, that heals. Uh, This is the corona over us that addresses every virus that attacks us. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all and give us his peace both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you'd like prayer, Mike will be willing to pray with you in the prayer garden. If you want to sing a few more songs, we're going to do a couple more songs, but God bless you as you go on in your day. And God bless you who are worshiping with us from home.
0: Oh,